written. It's made to, it's written to exhort the saints, the church at Ephesus. Now, did I get an answer about where Revelation 2, uh, one, there was a letter written to the church at Ephesus, and there's a letter written in Revelation chapter 2. It's the first letter written to a church in, in the book of Revelation. Um, so it's very important to, uh, what we're going to do is we study up to the end. We're also going to go into the book of Revelation, and we're going to see how the Ephesian church did after Paul wrote them this letter. And that's what Revelation will talk about, is how well the church did. Uh, the purpose of the letter was to uh, make plain to everyone the mysteries of the gospel. This is a, a profound study, but it talks about Christ and the church. This is an in-depth study of Christ and the church. Who wrote the letter to Ephesus? Okay, I want answers now. You guys got to help me. Where did he write it from? Prison. 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 Where was he in prison? Nope. Where was he in prison? Rome. Good. He was in prison in Rome. Okay. And who did he send it to? Who was it addressed to? Church at Ephesus. Okay. The purpose of this book was to provide doctrine that brings understanding into the mysteries of Christ and the church. This understanding enhances continued maturity of the believers. One of the great things about the book of, uh, uh, the book of Ephesians is it'll teach us how to be mature in Christ. There's a lot of, of great scriptures that we like to use in the Christian faith that come out of the book written to the church at Ephesus. Okay, and it's, it's written to help us mature and it prevents the development of false doctrine. This is one reason why Paul wrote this letter because there was a lot of false doctrine in the early church. Um, almost every country over there had some kind of God that they worshipped. Syrians, the Greeks, um, the Romans. When this was being written, it was written against false gods. And one way that you uh, do away with false gods is by teaching good doctrine. You, well, you got to have good doctrine or people, as it will say later, will be blown. What's it say? They're like waves tossed on the sea. They're blown around by every wind of doctrine that comes down. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have seen different doctrines over the years in different churches that you've been involved in? I like what Rick said last week. I was, oh, there he is. I like what Rick said last week that God specifically stated that we're to have no other gods. And so not only was Paul preaching the gospel, he was coming against all these pagan gods that they had shrines set up to. And the best cure for uh, bad doctrine is good doctrine. And we have to turn people to Jesus Christ. And that's what the book of Ephesus was all about. And so false doctrine uh, was infiltrating the church in Ephesus as it was everywhere else. Now the city, I want to read you something about the city of Ephesus. This is why it was important. The city of Ephesus was situated on an intersection of major roads running east and west and north and south. Ephesus stood at the doorway to Asia, 
with travelers from Persia, Egypt, Greece, and Rome meeting within its walls. It was a big port in Paul's days. Though the port was not silted and the modern location of Ephesus is some way inland, uh, it was one of the 12 major cities. It had a population of 24,000 with an immense pagan temple. The temple measured 420 feet by 240 feet. That's a pretty big temple. The temple was dedicated to Diana, which is Artemis in Greek. So this is who they worshipped there in Ephesians. And I, I came across something that really, the symbol of their worship was a big, shiny, black block of material. And what's that sound like in modern day terms? What does Islam walk around and worship? Mecca. Well, what is it? A big, shiny, black box. That's what they worshipped in Ephesus all those years ago. I don't know if they walked around it, but it says it was a big, shiny, black box of material covered in bumps. And I could, I'll go into some of the rest of the things it was covered in, but it was quite um, over the top, anyhow. But isn't it interesting that they worshipped a black box and Islam today worships the same. They walk around it when they go to Mecca. Does anybody know the history behind the black? I got I to gotta think it has a lot to do with the pagan gods that Paul was preaching against. When we live in our country, we preach the gospel, but it's completely different than preaching the gospel to people that have so many other gods. And so the city of Ephesus um, was, a, was a crossroads between Asia where there was a lot of trade and things going on, okay? So here's what I want to do. I want somebody to read verse 1. All you King James guys. Somebody read verse 1 in King James and I'm going to read verse 1 in the New Living. Go ahead, Rosalie. Okay, New Living says this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Chosen. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers in Christ Jesus. One thing that you will see in the book of Ephesus that is just absolutely amazing, 35 times does Paul say in Christ or with Christ or through Christ. Wow. 35 times. So in other words, what we're going to learn out of this book is there's no other way than in Christ, through Christ, and with Christ. It's mentioned 35 times. Verse 2, who wants to read that? Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jeremy mentioned in all of Paul's epistles how many times he would say that he would wish that we would have grace and peace. He would always start off with that. And grace and peace meant a lot more to them because they were fighting all these evil gods and evil, evil things. So the church was being persecuted. It's a persecuted church. Paul was in prison in Rome. So when he says, I hope you have grace and peace, they were fighting a whole bigger battle than sometimes we're fighting. OK, and we need to understand that. Uh, go to Romans 1, 7 real quick. Romans 1, 7. I'll be repeating some of the good stuff that's been taught here already by other people. Romans 1, 7. 
It says, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you what? Grace and peace. This, this was in the letter to the Romans that Paul wrote. Go to 1 Corinthians 1.3. 1 1 there, read it. Amen. Amen. And, and the New Living says, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jeremy taught on how Paul had that salutation or that salute. And also at the end of many of his epistles, he would focus in on grace and peace. Even after all the corrections he had to make in the churches, he wanted them to be left with grace and peace. And we all know that the Corinthian church had a lot of issues. Okay. Let's read on. Verse 3. King James. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings to blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Okay. The New Living, if it helps, says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Because we are united with Christ. I want to focus in on that word united. You will find the word united used nine times in the book of Ephesians. And what Paul is trying to promote there is the unity of the saints. How that sound doctrine will cause there to be sound unity in the church. Wherever false doctrine enters in, you'll find church trouble. There'll be trouble every time. Because false doctrine always, a lot of Paul's letters dealt with false doctrine trying to creep into the church. We'll see later on in the book of Revelation about the Nicolaitans. How many of you know what they were famous for? Jeremy, you can answer that one. They taught that the laity was lesser uh, than they the pre Yeah. They was, yeah. They, that the ministry, people in the ministry were higher above than the regular congregation. Okay. That's an evil doctrine. It was in the church at Ephesus. And it remained until the book of Revelation was written. So obviously they still had some work to do, doctrinal wise. And um, okay, go to the next verse. Verse 4. King James. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Amen. Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us how? In Christ. We are chosen in Christ. There's that in or with or through Christ again. It's very important in this epistle that you realize that we have to be in Christ. Because that's where the good stuff comes from. In Christ, with Christ, through Christ. Sounds like a Catholic prayer. But there's a lot of meaning to that. He said that even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. Now, that ties in with the scripture. It says there's no other name through which men might be saved. What's that name? The name is Jesus. Okay. Now, false doctrine would teach that, oh, there's many ways to heaven. And, you know, we live in a world right now where it's all inclusive. You can't say nothing about nobody. But the bottom line is, if you're not in Christ, you're going to hell. Amen. 
And another thing that Rick taught me, God desires mercy. He doesn't, hell's not made for you and me. <laughs> it was originally made for the devil and all the fallen angels because they exalted themselves, uh, wanted to exalt themselves and be equal with God. Well, isn't that what we got going on in the world today? Amen. It's just humanism is all it is. So if we teach that uh, false doctrine teaches that there's another way to salvation, then we're all in trouble, see? So we, we have to preach that God chose us in Christ. That's the only way that you have eternal life is in Christ. And he said, <laughs> I love this, to be holy and without fault in his eyes. How are we holy and without fault? Through the blood of Jesus. And what, how do we get the blood of Jesus? By being in Christ. We are in Christ. Somebody read verse 5. Amen. God decided in advance, in advance, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's how we're brought back to God is through. What's it mean to go through something? <laughs> when you go through a gate into a park or something, you're passing through. That's your point of access. So again, we, we need to realize who we are in Christ he chose us in Christ and he brought us into himself through Christ. Okay? So there's a process there. Salvation, I don't believe, is a little prayer thing where we forget about it after that. I think salvation is an ongoing process. So many people think that salvation is just to pray a sinner's prayer with somebody. That's a good start. You're not doing anything wrong by doing that. But salvation is a process that needs to be worked out. We need to stay in Christ, with Christ, and through Christ. The initial access is a work of His grace. But then there's, we're not, we're not saved by works. But this book will help us understand what it means that God, you're chosen. You know you're chosen? Amen. Okay. All right. What's the next verse? Oh, this is what He wanted to do. And he gave him great pleasure, gave God pleasure that we were to be part of him through Jesus Christ. Somebody read verse 6. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Verse 6. 6. Verse 6. Amen. It says here in this, So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to who? His dear Son, it says. Hallelujah. He's poured out grace. Glorious grace. Read verse 7. In whom we have redemption. Hallelujah. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. <laughs> Amen. It's good to read, just read the word sometimes. Yeah, See what it says there? He is so rich in kindness and grace. We have a new favorite song here in the church, if none of you have noticed. Every now and then I get a new favorite song. For about two years it was, uh, uh, what a wonderful name. 
I mean, it's just so theologically deep and right on. And what a wonderful name, the name of Jesus. But now Jeremy found that song by uh, Bethel that speaks of your goodness and running after. It's running after me. That's my new favorite song. Because it says in Psalm 23 that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall what? Dwell, Dwell where? Can you, can you t actually take yourself out of the house of the Lord? Yes. Yeah? I got a feeling if you, if you don't keep yourself in the house of the Lord and stay updated with God, goodness and mercy doesn't follow you like it used to follow you. We need to treat our salvation as we got captured. Like when Steve dated Patty. She got caught. Of course. <laughs> we'll just leave that right there. So he caught you and there's no way out. That's what I meant to say. You don't want out? Well, I just meant to say there's no way out. It's like being caught. I mean, how could you resist that? Somebody read verse 8 before I implode up here. Well, no, I got to finish it. And he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Now verse 8. Amen. He has showered us with his kindness along with his wisdom and understanding. What did uh, Solomon ask for? Wisdom. Why is that so important? Yeah. Yeah. Of all the riches he could have had, he treasured wisdom and understanding above everything else. I think it's very important in our continuing process of salvation, too. I know a lot of people that don't have any wisdom. Anybody ever seen, not in this church, of course, but anybody ever seen anybody that just lacked wisdom and they were continually in and out of trouble and they were Christians also. And God, it says here that God has showered us. Anybody ever got caught out in the shower and you know you're not going to make it home? How many of you ever got caught out in the rain and you're... And you're just walking or running or hiking or something. You know you're not going to get home. So you might as well just enjoy it. God has showered us. It says here that he showered us with his kindness along with his wisdom and understanding. That leads me to James. What's the peace of God? What's it say about the peace of God? It says it's easy to be in, entreated or easy to be received. So kindness... Or wisdom and understanding without kindness is hollow. You can know a whole lot of stuff. But if you don't use wisdom in when to say it and when not to do it, or understanding of a person's situation, okay, then it has to be mixed with kindness because he showered us with kindness. I think the best way to get people into the church is to love on them. Yes. That's what you guys in the pantry do week after week after week after week. Year after year, you just love on them. Nobody asks anything in return. You know why? Because you're wise. After you're back there for a while, you get wise to some of the scams that go on. 
Am I telling the truth here? That's why we're showered with kindness and wisdom and understanding. Because and it, every person, there's a different understanding with every person. You can't talk the same way to every person. You've got to understand what kind of situation. Like I've shared this many times in the church. As a preacher, I have pat answers for everything. You know, cliched answers. And I was counseling a couple one time and this woman was getting beaten. And the question asked to me was, well, what should I do about this? And of course, I had a pat answer that what she should do, you know, what I thought she should do. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me in the middle of that counseling. And you know, he said to me, he said, you don't understand this situation because you will never be a battered woman. Now, think about that a minute. I will never be a battered woman. Now, I can play it straight down the middle and, and profess my opinion and stick to it like glue, but I'll never be a woman that's subjected to a beating every night when she goes home or something like that. So I have to try and understand the situation and probably give more kindness and grace in that situation than just to have a pat preacher answer that's supposed to cancel out the whole thing. Listen, if you got a husband that beats on you, he ain't listening to the gospel. Amen. So you've got to use different levels of, of understanding and wisdom on how to deal with it. Amen. The beating stopped. Let's go on. Verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Amen. That he is purposed in himself. God has now revealed to us his mysterious, his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. Go on, Jeremy. Verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, wow. he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Amen. Amen. Oh, that's Amen. good stuff there, ain't it? And this is his plan under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. We and then verse 11 says, furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. There's that word united again. And that would be the second time that it's mentioned about being united in Christ. What's it mean to be united in something? You have one common goal. Okay. You ever notice how they uh, in in football in Europe, they got the United this and Manchester United and all the purpose of this United moniker is to say that these are players from all kinds of different countries, but they are a united team. And so as Christians, we could have our disagreements, but the, the, the importance of unity can't be stressed more. I mean, we need to be unified, not just here, but all the churches need to have a, a certain level of unity that I think hasn't existed over the years. There's a there's a resistance to unity. And I'll tell you why, because the devil hates unity. He hates agreement. He wants to steal any kind of agreement. So somebody read verse 12. Well, no, I didn't get it right. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to. To his plan. Verse 12. That we should be in the presence of 
God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in, there's that in Christ again, see that? In Christ would bring praise and glory to God. Verse 13. Wow. Everybody reading that along? In the New Living, it says, And now you Gentiles, which is us, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed, where's that, what's that word again? In Christ. When you believed in Christ. It's kind of like an entryway, you have to go in. You have to go into something. It's not good enough to stand outside the entryway and have somebody tell you how good it is in there. You have to go through the entryway, which is Christ. He's the only way. And in to the place of grace and peace. Everybody get that concept? That's why it's so important to stay in Christ. Yep. Here's another thing it says. If any man be... In Christ. What? In Christ. in Christ. He is what? What? All things? All things are new. Okay, so what happens is when we, we trade our old life for the new life of Christ, but we do it in Christ. I don't believe in a third and fourth hand salvation. Don't place your salvation in the hands of another person. A preacher or anybody. We serve a personal God and we've read here how many times he said in Christ, through Christ, with Christ. That's the only way to be saved Amen. is to make your peace with God. That's right. You can't do it because you grew up in church somewhere. What's that principle? It's called osmosis. <laughs> A lot of people get saved through osmosis or they think they get saved through osmosis. No, just because, you know, it's because you're around an apple tree don't make you an apple. So it's important that we realize that uh, everything will work out according to his plan. Okay, verse 13. No, where are we? Okay, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit who he promised long ago. Where did he send? In what book of John, in what uh, chapter of John did he send the promise of the Holy Spirit? John chapter 16 or 14? 14. He said, it's better that I go away because I'll send you a comforter. No. And so Paul alludes to this again. He says, he, he identifies you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. So we can't downplay the importance of the Holy Spirit in our life. And the Holy Spirit is not a display or a certain way of worship. The Holy Spirit is so much more. It's a seal. It's an identification. You know, there's so many things that the Holy Spirit it, it does in our lives. So that's how we know that we belong to Him because we have the Holy Ghost. How many of you got the Holy Ghost? Amen. Amen. Now, some people in churches have reduced the Holy Ghost to a certain set of actions or something. It has nothing to do with that. Emotional people usually will have an emotional reaction to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Quiet people will have a quiet reaction to the Holy Spirit. That's just the way things are. 
God's not looking for a reaction, but the, what happens the minute you're born again? Do you receive the Spirit? Yes. Where's the Spirit? It dwells within you. Okay, and there's different ways. There's also a second work of grace, which is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but that's a whole other subject. But He seals us with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Read on. 14, 14. I gotta hurry. Which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Wow. The Spirit of God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify Him. So when we come to church and we're in a little bit of a foul mood, anybody ever came to church with a foul mood on? Nobody? None of you guys, right? <laughs> Catherine's always in a good mood. She's, yeah. says, I'm always perfect. What did I tell you, Patty, about the guy you married? <laughs> why did he do all this? It says, why did he do all this? It says, God guaranteed that he will give us an inheritance. How many of you are waiting on inheritance? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to. But if you are, it's okay. Guarantee that it would give us an inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. In other words, we belong to God. Amen. And I don't want to be uh, forward about this, but in order to receive an inheritance in a worldly sense, someone has to die. That's right. Am I correct? Absolutely. Somebody has to die for the inheritance. Well, spiritually, somebody has to die. You know who that is? The old man has to die. There's always a death associated with an inheritance. We must die to self and make him Lord of our life. And then he gave us a guarantee that we have this inheritance. But someone had to die. If you're in the world and you don't die to self, now that doesn't mean you walk around with monk's clothes on all the time and everything else. It, it means that you... Follow as closely as you possibly can to the teachings of Christ. And Paul said, I die daily. So, in other words, here's that salvation process again. Paul realized in Romans chapter 7, which you all know, that he was a wretched man. Now, if I look at the life of Paul and read these epistles, I thought, man, he had it going on, didn't he? I mean, he wrote almost all the New Testament. And you will think, well, he had no problem. Well, Paul got to a place in Romans where he said, I'm just a wretched man. Who's going to deliver me? Because the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. And that's the description of every man and woman in here. So, but Paul said, thank God. Thank God. I, I'm in the process of being delivered. I'm in the process. So, man, I get so excited. I, we probably won't get done. But he said he did this so we would praise and glorify him. That's what salvation is all about. What do the angels do in heaven? They don't seem to get tired either, do they? You know, I was reading about the, the elders throwing their crowns down. Now, I don't know how that's going to... 
They cast them before the Lord. And then they cry, holy, 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 holy. And then they go pick them up again and they do it again. And I thought, do they work in teams or what's the deal here? Because if you look at it from just a natural sense, you think, is that what heaven's going to be like? Is that all we're going to do all the time? But I think it's going to be such a realm of praise and being caught up in the goodness of God that we're not going to be able to identify it with anything that we can see or imagine or feel down here. It's just going to be glorious. And we're going to be in His presence. And when you're in His presence, there's fullness of joy. Talking about the process, I always like to... Well, just a few things, but like what Schofield said, he says, he said, I am saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I believe that. I'm saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. Yeah, real quick. I think, uh, well, I can answer it probably not as well as Jeremy can, but to me, um, it's just two different things. Worship is, um, I think it's holier than praise. To me it is. To, you know, I think we praise Him sometimes wholeheartedly, sometimes half-heartedly. And I think worship is a different level that we can enter into where we have a meeting with God. That's the way I interpret it. To me, uh, praise gives us entry and deep, soul-shaking, Pentecostal worship will really draw, draw it out of you. Go ahead, Rick. You had a word for it. Worship is a response to the Word. There. So, and that's a response to His laws, a response to Him and His revelation. So worship is when we're given the Word of salvation and we respond to it. When the word was given to the to the Jews, and they had long since forgotten the word, and when the, the scriptures came in and they read them, and the word went out, they fell in worship. So they worship as a response to the word of God. Okay. Whereas praise is where we sing about who He is, where I mean, what He's done, and all the goodness that He's constantly given us, His grace, His mercy, His. his Visions, you know, and all that he does, salvation. That's good. He saves us. He's our strong tower. He's, he's so everything we need. Worship is a response to the word, where praise is a response to the things that he's done for us. Okay, Lee? I believe that praise is one form of worship. Okay. There are many other forms. Uh, giving your tithes and yep. Okay, the yeah, other's different. There's different ways to worship, yeah. 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 I, I, don't, I don't believe you can truly have worship without the presence of the Lord. Amen. You can, you can have praise, you can praise, but, but only you have to, the, the presence has to be there to have real worship. The presence has to really okay. be there. Well, how do we discern the presence? I'm not disagreeing with you, I'm just saying... You know, some people will come into a church service and they'll say right away, the Spirit of God's all over this place. And there'll be somebody sitting over in the corner over there going, I don't know what the hell are His presence is in us. Right. And we just, we just, we just release what's in us. His presence and His presence, they, they, 
unite in his presence and the presence in us and the presence of in, in worship unite together. Okay. Have you ever noticed in church sometimes we're a praising church? But Jeremy will tell you this, and so will Rick and other musicians. You can praise, and, and everybody's getting into it, and it's all good and everything else. But every now and then, not, all, not every time, the presence of the Lord is there, but we don't always enter into worship. I think we enter into worship when you just are in those, oh my goodness, moments. I think you know what I'm talking about. Praise, praise is this, and sometimes worship is on your face. Yeah, because you've entered in and you can tell by the music that they're playing whether we've entered into deep worship. I mean, praise is good, but when worship kicks in, it's like everybody. I've said many times, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next year. To me, that's worship because God's taken us into a realm that it's like the four and 20 elders and the angels. Man, they're just they're just in awe. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. To me, that's the difference, but I, I appreciate you. And Lee, there are kind, all kinds of uh, going and doing a good job for somebody's worship. Yeah, now, uh, the Bible also says God looks for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. You can't truly worship Him without the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and, and the truth of the Word. Amen. Okay, I got four minutes. <laughs> I'm going to dispense with the King James for a minute. Bear with me. Read along with me. Verse 15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. And I pray for you constantly. And remember, he's writing to the church now. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom. Okay? There's worldly wisdom and there's spiritual wisdom. And we need a good dose of both. Amen. Spiritual wisdom is very important because a lot of the epistles dealt with people entering into the churches. You know, sometimes we get so exuberant, and I've been guilty of this, so exuberant over somebody new that might come or something like this. And you got to be careful sometimes that they don't enter in with false doctrine as their goal. And sometimes it takes for a while for that to show up. But you have to guard against that. you got to test the spirits, okay? And he said, uh, so we need spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Verse 18, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Now the inheritance got turned around. The Bible says when we belong to Him and are sealed with the Holy Spirit, we have an inheritance. We receive an inheritance. But then look at what it says there. His holy people who are His rich and glorious inheritance. So what's that say? We're going to be presented to the Father as the Lord's inheritance. That's what He came for, was to die for us. And He's going to say, I never knew you or I knew you. We are His inheritance like we are. Anybody get what I'm saying here? You understand what I'm saying? It's, okay, let me go on. I also pray that you understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead 
and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Did you follow me in the King James there? Pretty close, right? Nobody confused? Yeah, King James is right. King James is right, yeah. Brother Long, that was very interesting what you said. What's that? My mind had to kind of wrap my head around it. What's that? It's about we, we are his inheritance. Well, it's... The Father? Well, yeah. How are you identified? By the blood of Christ. So he, he died for your sins like he did for mine. We are his prize. We are his, his inheritance. Why do you think he came to earth? Why do you think he preached to the captive spirits? Now, see, it's not a one-way inheritance. We inherited the kingdom. He inherited us because that's what he was sent for. That's what I was trying to find out. Yeah. No, we are... Uh, Later on, he hears he's going to say we are his masterpiece. Yeah. Go ahead, Lee. Um, this is the last will and testament. You talked about inheritance. Uh, unless there's a last will and testament, naming you in it, you may not get anything. Right. You know, so, so this last will and testament here is very important. Lamb's Book of Life. If your name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you have no inheritance, right? Everybody understand the inheritance part. Okay? Is there anybody with any other questions here? We're done right on time tonight. I didn't confuse anybody, did I? Who's... Hey, I've got a good... Uh, you know, when you were talking about in, that, in the NLT there where it says that we are as inheritance... A good cross-reference for that would be Psalm 2.8, which is a Messianic psalm, which says, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. Wow. Everybody can see that, Psalm 2.8? And I shall, and the uttermost parts of the earth shall be your possession. Psalm 2.8. Psalm 2.8. Is a classic messianic psalm that Psalm 2. Wow, okay, I see what you, yeah, that's great. Everybody see that? If 2 8? Yeah. Ephesians, uh, Ephesians. Psalm 2 8 it reinforces the inheritance portion of it that Jeremy just read. Well, I guess at one time we were all heathens, weren't we? What is a heathen exactly? It's an ungodly person. Heathen. It's kind of hard to get people saved to call them a heathen, but... Uh... Jonathan Edwards. Yeah. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. I wish that would work nowadays. 
I guess it still does, though. There's times of revival. When the Holy Ghost anointing is yeah. I think the thing about that, though, is the anointing is what breaks the yoke. You go, yeah. yeah. It's, not the, it's not the actual literature. Because uh, my wife was telling me about an article that she read that when Jonathan, when he read that at the Kairos moment or the appropriate season, that's when the Holy Ghost fell. And when he took it back to his own congregation, it fell on... Oh, uh, I read that just the other day. Nothing happened. Yeah. And it's about the anointing at the right time being used in the right manner. That's when God moved, you know. It's And so it's really the power of the Holy Ghost, not the man or not the actual sermon or the, the, the words written down on a piece of paper. That's not where the power is. Good word. How many ever been to Cane Ridge? Been down to Cane Ridge, down by Versailles. That revival broke out down there that just turned everything upside down. They had like 11 preachers going at once on different tree stumps and stuff because it was a Kairos moment. It was just a moment where the Holy Spirit was being poured out and it was like they couldn't resist being saved. Yeah. Yeah. It was that strong. You still feel the glory on that. Oh, yeah. there. I can still feel the presence when I walk out of the Man. Okay. Well, I better let you guys go home. You won't come back. Uh, amen. The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So go in the peace of the Lord. We'll see you Friday or something.